This is Mandite and the Apprentice Mage, Book One of the Mandite Chronicles, written and narrated by Stu Venable. Chapter 22 I got no sleep that night. Every time I dozed off, my body slumped, causing the manacles to dig painfully into the now raw flesh of my wrists. The pain woke me immediately. The only one of us who got any sleep was Jass, who was probably the only one light enough to manage it. In the morning we had the pleasure of being fed food and given water by Maroleth's undead minions. It was a disgusting display I'd rather not describe. Suffice it to say, it was difficult keeping food down, and none of us ate or drank much. Just enough to stay alive, I suppose. "'The messenger is off. He should be there within the hour,' Maraleth said as he entered the cavern again. He was followed by two dozen of his undead minions. "'Since you haven't tried anything—' "'I will let some of you free, though you must stay here,' he said. And without a spoken command or gesture, one of the undead approached Torum and unlocked his manacles with a large key hung around its neck. It did the same for Kedal. "'I'm afraid I can't let you or your apprentice loose. I don't find soldiers without weapons much of a threat, but I can't say that for you or her,' he said with a wan smile." "'No bother,' I said with a bit of nonchalant bravado. "'I would do the same.' "'And your companions can feed you. "'My undead have many uses, but I must admit, "'they make terrible household staff,' Maroleth said. "'We appreciate that,' I said. "'Maroleth smiled at me again. "'I suspect, if your Lord Field Marshal is quick with his response, "'I should hear word in a few more hours,' he said.' "'That's quick travel for a messenger,' I said. "'I've enhanced its speed,' he replied. "'I nodded with a colleague's approval. "'If the Lord Field Marshal doesn't meet your demands, "'what's to become of us?' Kadal asked while rubbing his wrists. "'He smiled at Kadal as if sizing him up, "'but he only looked at his eyes. "'Oh, that's a discussion for the future.' "'No need to dwell on it now, is there?' Maroleth replied. "'Let's all hope he does.' "'May I ask you a question, Maroleth?' I started. "'He looked at me with an expression of curiosity and surprise. "'I suppose,' he said. "'I've been doing some research on you, or others with your name, I suppose. "'Are you the same Maroleth who laid siege to Eldamy?' I asked. "'He gave me a crooked smile.' "'So you've heard of me,' he said, with what I thought was genuine pride. "'So you are one in the same?' I said. "'It wasn't a question. I decided to play on his pride. "'I've read several contemporary accounts of the Siege of Eldamy, "'and several works by historians in the subsequent centuries. "'From what I've read of the numbers, the placement of your troops, "'the siege engines that I assume you'd devised,' I'm surprised it wasn't successful. Maroleth wagged his head about, as if trying to think of the right words. Well, there are things about that siege that didn't make it into the history books, I'm afraid, he said. Really? Like what? I asked. 
I was genuinely interested, and everything I'd mentioned about reading histories of the siege was true. That siege shouldn't have failed. He smiled, clearly not wanting to tell me everything. I'll say this. The Duke had resources at his disposal, of which I was not aware, he explained. Do you mean his tactics of using chains in his catapults, I asked. No, though that didn't help my situation, he said. He had a military asset. If you want to know more, try looking at historical writings outside of the Duchy of Eldamy. I think you'll find it interesting, he said with finality. So you are indeed the same Maroleth of said siege, I asked, to confirm. His eyes narrowed, and he looked about as if trying to find a way to describe something extremely complex to a small child. I found it a bit insulting. In a manner of speaking, yes, he replied. So you can change bodies, transfer your spirit or your soul into another body, I asked. It's not exactly like that. But close enough for this discussion, he said. And you accomplish this using the force of undeath, I asked. Ah, an academic inquiry, he exclaimed, smiling broadly. Though I shouldn't be surprised by such a question from a fellow mage, and I'm not surprised a student of the Collegium would have inquiries about forces forbidden by the very patents of magic you seek. That confused me. I'd read patents of magic. All of the students of the Collegium did. In fact, it was our first instruction, long before we started to learn how to harness forces. The patents of magic, apart from giving a mage license to ply their art in the sovereign duchy of Eldamy, laid out a code of conduct for holders of the patents. There was an extensive and annoyingly complete list of things mages weren't allowed to do with their magic, but there was no prohibition of specific forces. I wondered if the negotiations between the government and the masters of the collegium had proscribed things that wouldn't be taught at the school. Yet again, another thing I would have to research in historical records. Maraleth paced a bit and approached me. Two of his undead minions flanked him silently. This force you call undeath is actually far more encompassing than that name suggests. I think, in terms you would understand, it would be more the force of the spirit or the soul, he said, waving his hands. The two terms get conflated, but they are both part of the same. So these undead are, I started, possessed by spirits? Yes, I don't want to get too technical, trade secrets and all that, he said. But said force is both flexible and useful, and before you ask, yes, it is used to enchant my minions and extend my life. It is one of the forces that turns mages into archmages. That's a term I had never heard used seriously. Rival students at the Collegium would use the term with derision about a particularly studious apprentice. We would sometimes use the term to describe in unflattering and ironic ways, the eldest and most distracted of the teachers there. But I'd never heard anyone seriously call someone an archmage. You wouldn't be looking for an apprentice, would you? I said. Mandite, 
Jash shouted, using my name as if it were a curse. Her eyes were no longer expressionless. They were filled with anger. Marwaleth let out a genuine guffaw. You're cheeky for someone chained to a wall. I like that. Unfortunately, I've learned that having apprentices can be dangerous business, Marwaleth said. I made that mistake twice. Won't do it again. Then he approached Jass and met her now hateful eyes. What's with you, young apprentice? he asked. You killed my mother, she said. Did I? he said with mild curiosity. Yes, one of your traps on Ekota Isle got her, she said. Yes, those weren't very effective. Much better to place them in cities. They gave me a steady stream of bodies, he said, smiling. I'm going to kill you, she said plainly. He laughed dismissively. You should teach your apprentice humility, he said to me, never breaking his gaze with Jass. She'll have a short life otherwise. Then he headed for the passageway and left, saying, I must be off. I'll come back when my messenger returns. Torm walked over to me with a ladle of water. I drank. Do you think he can listen in when he's gone? Torm whispered. I imagine he can hear what his undead hear, I whispered. He leaned in next to my ear and whispered as quietly as he could. If I can get the key from that one, he said, we can free you. Maybe we can escape through that hole. He looked at the large opening in the cavern. Torum must have been whispering with Kadal earlier, because Kadal was now strolling near the opening, stealing quick glances of what was beyond. Then he turned to Torum and shook his head. That probably meant it was a dangerously sheer drop. I don't see how you can get the key without starting a row, I murmured, and that would be bad considering you're unarmed. Give me a minute to think. And I thought. There were now eight undead minions here, all clustered around the passageway. Maraleth must not have been concerned about an escape through the large opening, as he didn't bother to have his minions guard it. I racked my brain, trying to think of a way out of this, when Jass hissed at me. I looked over, and she was furiously gesturing with her head to something above me. I looked up, but saw only my manacled hands and stone. What? I whispered. Torm looked between us, confused. Your ring! She hissed. I looked up again, but this time I twisted my wrist around. She had been motioning to my ring, the ring that tracked Xavier, and the stone set into it was very nearly black. Chapter 23 I watched as the color of the stone in my ring shifted to pure black. Xavier, my brother, whom I assumed was dead on a distant battlefield, was very near. A horrific thought occurred to me. If Xavier had fallen, was he now one of Maroleth's undead minions? I put that thought out of my head. Xavier was annoying, but he was also a very resourceful mage. Then I heard faint scuffling from outside the large opening, and for just a brief moment, I saw Dale's head peek into the cavern and duck back down. Kadal must have heard it, too. He walked back to the opening and leaned against the wall, folding his arms. Though he wasn't looking at the opening, 
He appeared to be in concentration, as if listening. After a few moments, he caught Torum's eye and gave him a very slight nod. Dale must have whispered a plan to him. Torm began moving indirectly toward the undead guards, and I realized he was going to attempt to grab the key. Kidal was on the move as well. He walked midway between Jass and I and the passageway. Then, moving faster than an old soldier should, Torum rushed the guard, grabbed the key, tore it free, and threw it to Kidal. All eight undead guards converged on Torum. One thrust at him with a short spear. Torum sidestepped the attack and grabbed onto the spear, twisting it and pulling it free from the guard's dead hands. One of its hands came right off with the spear. Torum shook the wriggling hand off the spear and moved between the guards and us. Just then, Dale bounded into the cavern. She unsheathed a short sword and tossed it to Kadal, who deftly caught it and joined Torum. I could hear the sounds of more undead approaching from the passageway. As I had suspected, Maroleth could hear and possibly see everything happening in the cavern. I looked toward the passageway to the rest of the complex, expecting to see dozens of undead footmen begin marching into the cavern. But that's not what I saw. I saw a blast of fire by the passageway. From the cave opening on the flat, toward the observation deck. Unlike Jass's fire, this fire was white with flashes of blue, far more concentrated, far more destructive. The fire was fierce and sustained. I could feel the blast of heat against the opposite wall of the cavern. It was as if I had placed my face near a blacksmith's fire as he pumped the billows. Undead minions rushed past the entryway toward the source of the fire, and they were incinerated nearly instantly, burning flesh and muscle sloughing off in fiery chunks. I could see the undead fall one after the other in a mass of gathering bones and burning flesh, but they kept coming. Across the cavern, Dale pulled two daggers from behind her back and set upon the nearest undead guards. She dodged a spear thrust and spun behind the guard, crouching low, and severing the tendons in the back of its ankles. The guard fell, unable to walk or stand. Kidal kicked the guard nearest to him back, turned, and began quickly unlocking Jass's manacles. "'Are you serious? You free the apprentice first? I yelled. Kidal just laughed. "'Patience, my friend,' he said, concentrating on the manacles. Once Jass was freed, he started on my manacles." See, I'm getting to you, he said with feigned placation, winking at me as he set my wrists free. I couldn't see what was happening, but Jas shouted, Torum, left! I saw Torum tumble free, and Jas muttered the rhyme of the force of fire. Fire spewed toward three of the guards. Much like before, it wasn't concentrated enough to incinerate them but it did knock them back into the passageway, where sustained white flame caught them and hurled them back toward the observation deck. Now I was free. During the time it took Kadal to free us, Dale had disabled two more of the guards. Only two remained, but they were now motionless, standing still and inanimate. Dale disabled them anyway, kicking their weapons across the cavern. 
She ran to the passageway and yelled, They're free! The rush of white-hot flame stopped as suddenly as it started, and a moment later, Jass ran out the passageway toward the observation deck. Jass, no! I shouted, running after her. I was too late, for when I emerged into the hall, Jass had already disappeared into the observation platform. I heard Marwaleth laugh and say something as I ran toward them. Then I felt the hair on the back of my neck stand up, as I sensed the unbridled, totally unleashed force of fire surround me and everything within the watch cave complex. "'Gods, what's going on?' Xavier, my brother, I had feared dead, shouted from behind me. He felt it too. It was a massive magical backlash, the kind of calamity that all mages feared. Whether it came from Jas or Marwaleth, I didn't know, but the very air within and around the watch cave complex turned to fire. It was as if the very air turned flammable. My lungs burned, as I didn't have the presence of mind to stop breathing. I fell to the ground. Searing pain woke me as I coughed and hacked uncontrollably. Dale was patting me down, extinguishing my clothes. I sat up and wiped blood and spittle from my mouth. Dale's hair was completely gone, including her eyebrows and eyelashes. Her skin was covered with a thin layer of soot, and her eyes were blood-red. There was a trickle of blood coming from one nostril. I got up and staggered to the observation platform. Jass laid singed and smoldering on the ground. "'Gods, no! Oh, Jass!' I croaked through my dried, burned throat. I turned her over. She, too, was hairless now, and the left side of her face was badly burned. Then she coughed, and I breathed a painful sigh of relief. "'I missed him. He jumped just as I was casting,' she whispered, swallowing in pain at the effort. I looked around the room. I didn't see Marwaleth, nor a pile of smoldering robes. Kidal stumbled in, surveying the room, short sword in hand. As he took in the scene, he marched to the ledge of the room and looked out down the mountain. "'Yup,' he said. "'We wouldn't have survived that fall.' Then he turned to us. He's down there, not moving, and there's a puddle of blood around his head, Kidal announced. Good, Jas said, laying back down and breathing carefully. Dale walked in next. Her short hair had been very nearly singed completely off. She wore a grim, grief-filled expression, saying, Torm didn't make it. Too badly burned. Jass's face turned from relief to disbelief, from realization to horror. "'Oh, no!' Jass whispered. "'No! No! No! What did I do?' Then she began to sob, the effort causing her to cough convulsively. I held on to her, as she became a pile of pain, remorse, and regret. Clearly, the calamity had come from her.' It's not your fault, I lied. It's not your fault. If you would like to find out more about my writing, go to stewvenable.com.